Welcome to a special bonus episode of Rework, the podcast about taking all of your stuff, looking at it, and asking yourself whether it sparks joy in your life. I'm Sean Hildner, and I'll confess I've never read the Marie Kondo book or seen the TV show. I'm Waylon Wong. I have not read the book, but I have watched the TV show. I love the TV show. I love Marie Kondo. I love her hair. I love her lip color. I love her outfits. I love her demeanor. You love I her translator. I love, love, love her interpreter, <laughs> who is also named Marie, by the way. <laughs> Clever. And you know what I don't love is all of these garbage think pieces trying to take down Marie Kondo and the TV show. <laughs> In fact, I will fight anyone who says that Marie Kondo is saying you should get rid of your books and only have 30 books. I will fight you. <laughs> and I have learned from the best in terms of fighting with people because we work for David Heimer Hansen, who's great in a Twitter fight. He's great in a Twitter fight. And I remember him, when the book came out, talking at a meetup about how much he loved that Marie Kondo book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. That's right. It came out in 2014, and the Netflix show came out just around the start of the year. And the TV show Marie Kondo recently came up in a campfire conversation here at work. And I asked David if he would come on and talk about what he likes about her philosophy, how he's used it in both his life personally and in the business right here at Basecamp. So most of the book, you could say, could probably be boiled down to a blog post, which is all about her method of how to clean up, and to give you motivation to clean up. Uh, I think that that was really the one of the missing pieces or one of the key ingredients to her method, the idea of sparking joy, right? Like now mm -hmm. it's a meme and now it's almost kind of a parody. Yeah. Which I think is actually a little bit of a shame because I think that is key to the, I mean, quote unquote, magic of the method, that you get into the mindset that you own a lot of stuff and a bunch of those things are not making your life any better. They're not making you any happier. In fact, oftentimes they're making you kind of miserable. The sheer mass of it, thinking about that as a problem in and of itself, mm -hmm. I think is a pretty novel idea to most Westerners. Well, clearly it's a pretty novel idea. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the success of both the books and now the TV show is that People walk around sort of blind to this idea or they have this vague, fussy idea that having fewer things that they care more about is good, but they haven't connected to that on sort of a deep emotional level and they haven't seen any of the benefits from it. Then she has this very specific method, which I thought was really interesting too, because on its face, it's almost common sense. But as most common sense, it's not at all common. And people don't do it like this at all very frequently. Um, one of the key ideas is that you have to do it all at once. That the impact of seeing just truly how much crap you have is, is a key ingredient of making the whole thing work. So this idea of starting with just one drawer and trying to organize that one drawer, she totally knocks that down as just bullshit like that that doesn't work that that's not a way to make fundamental change in your relationship with stuff that the only way to make that fundamental change is to take all of the stuff put it in a big pile or somewhere else where you can visualize just how much of it there is because that gives you just such a knock where you go oh man i really have a lot of crap 
she also contextualizes it with a bunch of takedowns. So the book has a bunch of takedowns on organizing systems, for example, which she basically labels as bullshit, that that's not what she does, right? She's not trying to help you put all the stuff that you have into more clever places. She's trying to basically get you to have fewer things. And if you have fewer things, you don't need as sophisticated um, organizing tools for it. And then also the animation she does with stuff, I thought, was good. She really makes a very succinct, good case for uh, animating your objects. Um, and, and one of the powerful ways of doing that is, is this idea of thanking your things for having served you well. That you might have, a, a, say, a, a gift that you you feel guilty about not using because you got it from someone and they gave it to you and like, aren't you supposed to use it? And she tries to basically set you free from that guilt by saying, the gift already served its purpose. The giver got joy out of giving you a gift. You were happy to receive a gift as a uh, example of someone caring about you. It has served its role. If it is not something that you use, um, you're actually doing that thing at the service by holding on to it and letting it go and passing it on could potentially give it a, a new life with someone who could actually use it. And I also found that incredibly powerful. I had a bunch of cameras that I liked, but I weren't using. And I thought these cameras could be taking pictures for people. They could be creating memories for someone. Why am I hiding these things away in my closet? Um, I should just hold on to the few bits of camera equipment that I actually use and that actually is creating memories for me. And then I should set the rest free and allow other people to use it. And I thought that was just uh, a really powerful thing to connect to, that um, you're kind of holding your things back by not allowing them to fulfill their purpose and potential. They're interlocking ideas uh, and they're interlocking concepts that help and support each other and reveal, for me at least, reveal the deeper truth than just the surface layer that you would get from reading each of them individually. And I thought that this this was one of those things that then made me think about uh, programming and, and product development methodologies and so on, where we often deal with interlocking and supporting principles and values and techniques where if you just took one of those things out of context, it's not really going to do a lot for you. But take all of these things together, it's more. There's one key book in the program world that really stands out for me, and that is the original edition of Extreme Programming, which was written by Kent Beck, where he presents a complete um, worldview of how to develop software that relies on a variety of values, principles, and practices where they are all supporting and interlocking. That you can't take any individual value, principle, or practice out of context of the rest and assume you're going to get sort of anywhere near the results that Kent was getting and he was seeing with other teams. Where the condo method, is, it's a little more... A little fewer moving parts, but it felt similar in the sense that, like, I'm presenting you with a whole worldview, a whole set of mental tools and practices to think about this problem with. And if you use them together, you're going to get um, outside results, results that you perhaps couldn't even anticipate from just thinking about each of the individual parts. Do you feel like 
when you approach, let's say, like the base camp code base um, and the code base for, you know, all these different products that we have, do you look at it with like a KonMari lens at all? Like, are there any parallels there? Totally. I think uh, the KonMari lens in that regard uh, tracks very well with sort of some of these ideas that came out of extreme programming, like you're not going to need it. It's it's an acronym, YACNI. You're not going to need it, which is um, basically saying you, you might have all this code that you think, oh, maybe one day if we were to expand this feature, we're going to need this stuff. And extreme programming can say, probably not, right? In, in the same way that KonMari would say, if you haven't worn this sweater in, in or if it's not making sort of sparking joy, um, and, and and it probably isn't sparking joy if it's just been hanging in your closet for for two years, then you're probably not going to need it. And you can let it go. And if worse came to worse and you realized three months down the road that, oh, man, I really do need this thing, you just bring it back. And it doesn't just extend, I think, to code. It extends to the entire business. We like to think of Basecamp as uh, a product that we work on. Uh, and when both Jason and I read the book, it sparked an immediate conversation about all the things that we have at Basecamp, all the, the products and services and so forth. And it immediately actually led us to sell the uh, WeWork remotely job board. We went like, hey, it doesn't spark joy when we lift it up. It was great when we launched it, but here we are five years later and we don't need to hang on to it. It has served its purpose for us and now it can go somewhere else and fulfill its potential. So, directly from that we went like we can sell it and i'd say it it even was a material factor in the discussion about high rise which was obviously a much more material Mm -hmm. important and expensive decision to make but it was key to us going does this spark us joy do we really love working on high rise as a product as a code base as, as whatever and the conclusion was essentially no um, and that made it easier to make the decision to um, cut off signups for for high rise and, and stop actively developing the product in terms of new features and so on. Because we just thought, well, we have limited time here and we have limited attention and we have limited love to give to products and we want to give it to other ideas. Did you feel like you went through the exercise of thanking each of those products before you set them free? Absolutely. That was key to my mind, too. Um, High Rise, for example, uh, has served so many people so well, and it's lived for, what is it now, almost 12 years, Mm -hmm. I think. That's an incredible run for software product. It's made millions of dollars. It's been instrumental in... um, in our success and in a lot of success that customers has, ha- has had with it. So I'm very grateful for that whole experience. I'm even grateful for the, let's say, twists and turns that we took trying to figure out what to what to do with it. Once we realized we couldn't handle it internally, we tried to sell the product and we tried to spin it off. Mm-hmm. And both of those um, exercises taught us a lot about what we want and don't want to try to do again in the future. Um mm-hmm. And, and I'm really thankful for having gone through that. Um, and then I'm also thankful to be able to say, like, this is this is good enough. It has served its purpose for us. We will continue to keep it in our portfolio of products that we support until the end of the internet. But we're not going to spend a lot of day-to-day time thinking about it beyond just like, is it secure? Is it fast? Is it, is it working? Um, we're going to put our creative energies into other ideas. 
Earlier, David had mentioned that he used the KonMari method to get rid of all but a few pieces of camera equipment that meant a lot to him. And I wanted to know if he had done the same for the rest of his belongings. Were you able to like successfully apply her method to the rest of your stuff? We had moved around a fair bit. We have moved around a fair bit. And every time we moved, we realized that, why are we packing this stuff again? Like, I basically haven't used it since we packed it last. Like, I remember the first time we moved out here to uh, Malibu in 2009, and we we sent our car out, and the car was just loaded. Like, everywhere there was just stuff in it, right? And then a couple of years later, we, we moved um, back out to Malibu again, all we brought was I had a backpack and we had one suitcase. That was it. I, I, I likened it to a bit of a brain virus. That once you let the condo <laughs> <laughs> method get into your mind, it's really hard to open a closet and, and look at it the same way again. So now pretty much whenever I open a closet, I go like, do we really need all this crap? And then I try to get rid <laughs> yeah. of some of what it. What do you do about your kids' toys? That is a great point. For us, um, we have these... Um, toy boxes. And the idea is pretty much we can have three of those in well, right now I think we have four. Four of those in the living room. That's it. If you want new or different toys, something else got to go. Yeah. And the funny thing is that kids I find are actually quite attuned to that idea because they love getting new stuff. Yeah. They're not that attached to whatever doll they got or action figure or Lego set or whatever that's two years old. And maybe in a couple of cases, but in the vast majority of cases, they're very ready to give stuff away, to get rid of it. So it's not so much about like, oh, you can't have stuff or you can't get new stuff. It's about what do we do with all the stuff you already have had and get rid of a bunch of that. You had to evacuate when the fires came to Malibu um, late last year. And did you find that not having um, so much stuff or having pared back your physical belongings, did that help ease the stress of needing to evacuate? Hugely, hugely. That was a great moment where I realized that everything I care about in terms of material stuff, I can pretty much fit it in a backpack. And I think that that level of levity in your relationship to stuff is incredibly powerful. And it made it so much easier for us to get out and not worry, stress, and, and be all worked up about the fact that, hey, maybe it burns to the ground. Maybe it will. Yeah. And if it does, um, okay. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, kind of, I think, the mindset that she teaches, because it's not like this smug detachment from material things where you're like, well, I just don't care about anything. Like, you actually right. just, um, yes. you have fewer things, but you care deeply about those things, and you're very mindful about what you choose to um, hold on to physically. I think that that's, that's key to it as well, because I have, so take the camera situation. Uh, I paired back and got rid of a bunch of camera gear that I wasn't using. And that made me realize just how much I cared about the few things that were left. That I have this, this one Leica camera that I've taken 90% of um, all the memories I have from the kids' childhood or up until this point with. And I really care about that camera. And I'm like, that is so much easier to care about, like one damn camera with one damn lens. It totally fits in my backpack and, and I can take it with me. So it's, it's definitely not about this just total detachment from things. It's the realization that we, we actually, most people aren't 
truly attached to very many things at all. They just haven't taken the mental effort to figure out which is what. Wow, this has been great. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add that I might have forgotten to ask you about? No, I think this is good. Okay. I mean, maybe it's probably even too much. You should probably uh, swing a good uh, editing slice <laughs> and only keep the pieces you have sparking joy. <laughs> okay, yeah. That I mean, that is, really is what editing is, right? It's like, yes. you know, because she has this thing where, um, at least on the show, she probably says this in her books too, where it's like, I think people who struggle with the idea of like sparking joy, like it sounds too woo-woo for them or something. Um, she also says like, you can ask yourself, do I want to take this into the future with me? Yes. And, um, you know, when it's editing, it's like, am I going to take these 30 seconds into the future or should I just leave them on the cutting room floor? So same Absolutely. process. I, yeah. And the same process that we've used both in code and when we write the books. I mean, the books are really a uh, distillation of that idea that most of the books that we've written, they start out twice as long as what they end up getting published at, that we cut out about half of everything we've written because only about half of it sparks the true joy and mm-hmm. is, is the stuff we want to push into the future. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Talk see you later. You Bye. Bye.